C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And we are joined by a most esteemed guest. Most esteemed. Joanna Lovering, who's an accomplished style coach, organizational psychologist, and speaker. And I love this tagline that's on your website. You can move forward with your life goals by just changing what you wear, which is awesome. So welcome, Joanna. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really stoked. So before we go into our exciting topics, maybe just to place you on the millennial spectrum, if you want to give our listeners an idea of how old you are, where you grew up, and maybe just a little bit about your business and what you're doing now. Absolutely. So I knew you guys were going to ask me this. <laughs> so I I am 38, born in 1982. So I am like just like one of the first millennials. Actually. We're called uh, ancient millennials, Joanna. Or you know, elder I millennials. I, or elder. I don't appreciate either of those. <laughs> I embraced <adjectives>. it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I remember the 80s, whereas a lot of millennials don't remember the 80s. Uh, okay, so I live in New York City. I'm currently sitting in my one-bedroom Upper West Side apartment, during the COVID times, feels like I've been sitting here for five years instead of five months. <laughs> I'm also in a one-bedroom apartment with my boyfriend in Hell's Kitchen, so I feel oh. you. Okay. Oh, um, that's like a whole other episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I am the founder and CEO of Copper and Rise. It is a style coaching slash executive presence Ooh. service in New York City, but I work with clients all over the world. So actually, uh, the the coronavirus and having to work from home was not a huge pivot for me, believe it or not, because I've been working with people remotely for years. So um, yeah, I work with people all over the world and I just help them feel confident every day when they show up to work. And that obviously translates to your personal life, but it's all about how you look, how you speak, and how you act. And I will build you up, champion you, and then also give you a toolkit for how to be more authentic and powerful. I love it. Can't wait to dig into more of that during the interview portion. Yeah. Um, Oh, that was a little long for a non-interview portion. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're flexible. (laughs) It's all great. Um, awesome. So to go into our toasty campfire topics, Shay, do you have a toasty topic for us? I do have a toasty topic and it is that I was absolutely delighted whilst scrolling through some clickbait something last night to learn that Chrissy Teigen and John Legend are pregnant with their third baby and it was a surprise baby. So we love, I love Chrissy Teigen. I have talked about her many times on this show. Um, but 
if you guys aren't familiar with her story, listeners, she had a lot of issues getting pregnant with both of her first kids. She basically is like, I'm infertile. And then she had a surprise, surprise pregnancy. So I was very excited uh, to, um, to, yeah, to hear that news. I missed it somehow on her Instagram. Um, but that was just, I thought, a little bit of joyfulness for these COVID times. I love it. You know, I didn't know Chrissy Teigen very well before I started following comments by celebs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's like and, a Twitter maven. Yeah. And comments by celebs, they are in love with her because her tweets are fabulous so and, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. funny and so pointed and right on and poignant. And so anyway, um, that's how I became a huge fan. And she's also amazing. Like I want to be her best friend. So totally. Yay. And I will say her cookbooks of which I own both of them and cannot wait for more. They are some of the few cookbooks I I've literally read them cover to cover, like really? every recipe, every little intro. They're so funny. They're so like spot on. I did like the first one better than the second, but highly, highly recommend just even if you don't cook, just for if you need a good read cravings is just some real excellent American literature. I love that. I love it. Echo all of that. Amazing. So that was that was my toasty campfire log, uh, Maddie. Yeah. So I I have kind of two. One is more just like general PSA, given that the times that we're in, just I feel like it's always an evergreen topic. But I feel like recently I've had experiences where I'm like, people just aren't getting it. And then I have a somewhat related, like lighthearted topic, but. I feel like in the times we're all getting registered to vote, we're all super excited. It's happening. It's the season. But like, you have to do your research. And if you're like a lot of my friends, and they're like, I only get my news on Instagram, and I don't know anything else, like, sign up for some email newsletters. I recommend the Morning Brew one is really good if you're into like business stuff. Love the Morning Brew. I think they're pretty good and like even keeled and they have little funny bits to keep you interested, but it's not super biased one way or the other. Um, I really like the Dispatch. Katie Couric actually has a good one called Wake Up Katie that I just recently started doing. And I feel like she's kind of an old school newswoman, you know, in our you know, kind of old media model who people looked up to her when she was on the Today Show and stuff. So I would just recommend that because during the coronavirus times and even before I just got into the habit of like, obviously we're all working from home now. Like if I want news, watch it, trying to watch press conferences live whenever I can and like just having that on so that I'm not getting information that's already filtered through some sort of spin or agenda. Um, and I've been watching the political campaigns that have been happening last week and this or the uh, conventions, excuse me, that were happening last week and this week and just like the crazy stuff where I'm like watching, you know, kind of in the background and I'm like, OK, that's a great point. And then to see how people are spinning it on Twitter or bringing up things or focusing on this thing versus the other thing or, you know, this speech that I thought was super impactful that like no one's talking about. And just it makes me really nervous for all of our millennial listeners that Mm -hmm. are now the biggest voting demographic and they don't get any news besides what's on Twitter. So that's my general PSA. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that before I go into the more lighthearted topic. (laughs) No, I mean, I think Maddie, you've you've 
hit the nail hit the nail on the head like it's not just about registering to vote it's about educating yourself and Maddie and I had a lot of conversations about that when we were recently camping together um but yeah and I think figuring out yeah don't get all your news from sound bites on Instagram or not sound bites memes or cable news which is even worse yeah. like if wow. you just yeah. have that open all the time like I always find it interesting when something's happening, like there's a national news story or like the political conventions are a great idea. Like how get your recall going on your TV. I have old school cable. I know a lot of millennials don't, but like have Fox, MSNBC and CNN and just rotate through them. And you can really see what people are focusing on and how different it is. And if you're not getting, you know, a, a diet that's, you know, this echo chamber mentality, it can be really dangerous, I think so. That's my recommendation. Um, anything on your end, Joanna? I mean, I read the skim every morning, S-K-I-M-M. It's similar to the morning brew. Um, I also, believe it or not, I read Ozzy, O-Z-Y, Ozzy every morning because I went to one of their like summer festivals a few years ago, got signed up for it because I bought a ticket and it's actually pretty good. And then every morning I also read the New York Times briefing, um, which is obviously more left-leaning. Uh, I'll admit that I'm not the best person for, like, getting a well-rounded <laughs> perspective. It's all good. I live in a, in a nice liberal bubble in New York City. Um, but I... Listen, I think this could be a completely separate episode, but I, <laughs> I, I can't watch the news, um, especially cable news. So I try very hard to stick to written news and, and the written word um, just because I don't, it's so I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think that's for, totally fair. Yeah, yeah. For me, it just like imprints in my head more when I see people talking and I hear it as opposed to reading it. Mm -hmm. So, and then I, I feel like when I read it, I, I form more of my own opinions. Yeah, that's good. So that might just be a learning preference. I don't know. But. Yeah, it could be visual versus auditory yeah. learning. Mm -hmm. Or I was more so suggesting it because I know a lot of people that are like, I only, you know, people that have Fox News yeah. on all day or they're like, oh, I Lord. watch MSNBC all night when I'm cooking and stuff. And it's like, if you're one of those cable news people, like, just change the channel sometimes just to see or like, you know, watch the, the networks like the CBS news that's a little bit less biased than Fox totally. or MSNBC or something. Like, I think it's mm -hmm. just good. I get like, I highlighted the ones that I really like, but I'm like obsessed and I get, I think like 15 morning newsletters and I don't read them all every day but when something big goes on I like seeing the same story from all angles and seeing mm -hmm. who's really prioritizing primary sources versus opinion pieces versus you know highlighting which voices they're highlighting in the story that kind of thing mm -hmm. and if you're only getting I, it from one source it can be uh, very bad <laughs> yeah I agree I will say recently I um this is not me saying about how smart I am, but I've started reading the, it's called L Times and it's like the New York Times in Spanish, their oh. newsletter. Okay. I don't know who the editor is over there, but clearly no one is like from the main times is checking to make sure they're not being like overly sarcastic or, you know, not 
so tone. liberal because they're just like El Trump, Ace Un Idioto. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's go. Let's go here. Pull in all, That's you know, hilarious. taking uh, taking no crap over at L Times. Um, but that has been one of my most recent uh, favorite ones. So, really Joanna, I uh, lived abroad for a while and I have a new opportunity to maybe do some work in Mexico. So I was like, oh, I guess I better figure out how to speak Spanish again. So this is part of my exercise to get back there awesome (laughs) yeah yeah so not just trying to show off like i read the times in spanish but i try to do my i try to do my like one little newsletter and my one article one or two articles a week nice cool my other little fun topic is the i don't know if you guys saw this with the youths on tiktok posting about their nyu quarantine so i went to nyu and Obviously, New York State has the quarantine order, so all of these college students that are returning to campus have to do the mandatory 14-day quarantine. Makes sense. And so the university for all the kids in housing was like, we'll provide you um, three meals a day, including any dietary preferences and all that stuff, because in the quarantine order, like, you literally can't go outside. A lot of people don't realize this. I've had friends that have gone to other states on the quarantine list and they're like, I'm doing it. And I'm like, but you went to the post office and like, whatever, you're really not supposed to. And even if you live with someone else, you have to separate from them as well. And so all these youths on TikTok have been posting these like fire festival style meals that they're getting from NYU, which is by the way, $80,000 a year. And they're getting like a sad piece of toast and like an apple and that's it and some kids like they didn't get breakfast and lunch and then they only got dinner and of course there's a ton of like rich kids at NYU that are just like getting Uber Eats delivered and stuff but there's a ton of kids that aren't that are on scholarships and stuff and we're relying on this and so it's been kind of funny to see the creativity that's coming from this younger generation of like posting about it and creating funny internet memes on TikTok and then also just like as an NYU alum like getting all the press from them trying to backtrack off of this like colossal fuck up that they had so it's been wild. I'm like fascinated by this because my only experience so I I also am an NYU grad uh, for grad school and I was in grad school when Sandy happened Mm -hmm. and I remember at the time I mean, literally yeah, I was an undergrad during Sandy and it yeah. was wild, but they were so good then because they were yeah. like, anybody can come eat in the dining halls. And I mean, it wasn't like they were feeding us gourmet food, but I'm like, I got a sandwich. I got pasta. Yeah. I did not starve to death with given that there was no electricity below 42nd street. And I lived on, you know, 18th street. So, or where did I live? Oh my God. 21st. I'm glad <laughs> I know my own. <laughs> Cross streets, 8th and 21st, Um, you know, so it's, it's surprising to me that like they were able to mobilize so quickly for that. And then here they've had all summer to like plan this and they can't get toast to these poor kids like that sucks. So I'm pretty involved with my undergraduate institution. I'm on the board of the alumni association and (laughs) love it. Where'd you go to Uh, Undergrad, I went to Carnegie Mellon. Oh, nice. Ah, yeah. Western Pennsylvania, by any chance? I'm sorry? Are you from Western PA? I No, I'm not. I am from the Jersey Shore, but I still have my Pittsburgh phone number. I um, love it. I, I, I have Pittsburgh it. pride. 412 area code, any listeners. Um, so I, I have to say that uh, I have a unique purview into what's going on, at least at Carnegie Mellon University. And... Listen, 
I 1000% agree with you. Like these fuckers have had the entire summer to figure this out. And the thing is, is that um, it's a waterfall effect from the federal government and then the state government as to what the restrictions or the boundaries are. So I'm not like, well, everything is Trump's fault. But anyway, I, (laughs) it's a tough situation. I hear you because I'm involved with um, the sorority at NYU that I was in and they like the, the New York state quarantine is relatively new. Like it's been going on for like a month or two, but like it wasn't, you know, since the kids went home, like it's a relatively new thing. And it's crazy because the states roll on and off the list on a seven day rolling basis. Yeah. So like they could be planning for X number of kids and then three more states get added to the list. And now you have this many more kids you have to feed. So like, I, totally I mean, let us that. not forget, let us not forget that it was what a, a mere four weeks ago from, from this taping today is August 25th, but, um, I, that international students weren't going to be able to come back. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and at least at Carnegie Mellon, there is a huge major percentage of yeah. undergrad students that are international. So, um, things are changing day by day. And, um, I know that these institutions are, are doing their damnedest. They're working their hardest because believe you me, they want their tuition money. (laughs) Oh yes. They really do. (laughs) That's excellent. Yeah. Well, I would recommend, you know, Googling some of these TikTok videos because they're really funny of these like 18 year old kids that are in their freshman dorm and they're like, wow, I'm so glad I live in New York to like sit in a dorm room and not do anything and only eat toast for days on it. Yeah, I will say for for five months. Right. (laughs) This is why I say I would never send my own child to NYU because I'm like, I mean, it's a lot of money. And if you're not like you got your, all of your 20s and longer to go live in New York and love it. And do you really need to do it? But again, Maddie had a great experience. No, so. I, I agree. We were talking about this when we were camping. Like I went to the business school, which is a top 10 program. And there are a lot of programs at NYU that they're the top for. And to me, it's worth the money. Like the job that I got out of undergrad and everything if I had gone paying for itself. Yeah. Like if I had gone, I'm from Michigan. If I had gone to Michigan, which is another great school and would have been way cheaper, I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity and, you know, what have you. So to me, it's worth it. But if you're, you know, going for a a general degree or something where it's not a top program and it's still very selective to get in and you're not going to get those contacts in your field and it's super expensive and it's hard to live in New York then I would start to question it and I have a ton of friends that just like were so this is like Joanna was saying another topic for another time but like kids who took the whole the whole thing like 100% of their NYU education out in loans and now they have $400,000 worth of loans and they didn't mm-hmm. try to get any scholarships, and their parents were like, "Yeah, you got into Penn State, but let's send Hi. you to NYU." It's like that to me is the like criminal enterprise of all of this. But one thousand percent, and and admittedly, Carnegie Mellon is the same. It's on par in terms yeah. of cost. Totally. So yeah. I actually really oh. wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon, and I didn't get in. If I had gotten into Carnegie Mellon, I would have oh. gone there over NYU probably. 
Fun fact. I got in and then so I'm jealous. decided no, not to you. go at the last minute. We could have been classmates, Joanna, or schoolmates. Yeah, we 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 could have. But then, but then, <laughs> who know? Who knows what would have happened? Know. We wouldn't have I this know, podcast. Right? Yeah, I think about I think about that a lot. I'm like, if I had made a different choice, but again, another topic for another cool. time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. those are my topics. Joanna, do you have any burning topics that you want to bring to the campfire, or would yeah. you rather go? You do. Great. Excellent. No, I Lay totally do. Awesome. I so love it. So there's something that my friends and I have been talking about a lot. It's not well. Today's August 25th. It, it happens. It came out again. Uh, I think last week or maybe two weeks ago. Um, but can we talk about um, Adele and Kelly oh, yeah. Osbourne? Wait, are they having a feud? What about What's Kelly happening? Osbourne? I have no idea. Oh, no, no, no. They're both in the news for their extreme weight loss. Oh, I knew about Adele, but not Kelly Osbourne. Mm-hmm. Kelly Osbourne as well. Yeah, Kelly Osbourne as well. Um, and they're, yeah, Adele, uh, she put on her Instagram for her birthday, like a, a, a picture of her, you know, new body. And then I think a week after Black is King is out, she came out with another Instagram post where she's wearing that, like, yeah, half I saw that. Moon, yeah, the Beyonce, outfit. what Beyonce was wearing in the, the video, what Beyonce was wearing in the video, yeah, with the half moons. I can't remember the designer, but I, I'm actually really curious um, about what, what other people think about women yeah. being in the news for major weight loss changes. Totally. I have I have opinions about this. I'm a I'm very steeped in the plus size community in New York City, so I have opinions. But yeah. I want to uh, hear your opinion. I think yeah. so Shay and I had a kind of I don't know what you would call Lucia, a weight loss coach. We had this woman named Lucia Hall. A nutritionist. Hawley, a yeah. nutritionist, yeah. Yeah. And she was on a few weeks ago and it was right when the birthday post with Adele came oh, out. Oh yeah. And uh-huh. we talked a, a little bit about it with her. And I think the perspective that I had was very much just like I think the natural voyeuristic thing that we all do when we see the photo of just like, I did the double take because I didn't realize it was her. And then that leads to its own intrigue because then you're like, wait, am I looking at a photo of Adele? I haven't seen her in a year. What has she been up to? And then you go on the like Googling spiral. It's like clickbait. It's like clickbaity. So that, that was like, and I'm coming at it. And I think it's important to say like in these conversations, I'm coming into the conversation. I've never had a weight loss journey. I've been the same size since I was in eighth grade. So um, for someone like Lucia, who has had a weight loss journey and, um, you know, a lot of her clients and stuff, we were talking about that. And so for me, seeing that photo, it was just like, oh, this is a celebrity. This is interesting going about my day. But for so many other women, it was either triggering. And Lucia brought up the point of, you know, it's really not anyone's place to comment on anyone else's body. But on the flip side, it's also up to the person to set those boundaries. So if you are finding it, you know, it's kind of an overused term, but if you're finding it triggering or you're having people in your personal life know that you've gone on this weight loss journey and they're like, well, what do you feel about Adele? Because maybe it's similar to how you felt. It's like it's your job as the person to like set those boundaries in your personal life. So that's kind of that was an eye-opening conversation to me because it was just a different dimension of body image and you know having conversations with other women that I don't I have the privilege of not having to think about because I've been 
than my whole life. So I don't know, Shay, if you had any other um, takeaways from it. I mean, I think I just immediately like pulled up. I was like, let me look at pictures of Kelly Osbourne. I mean, it's just so interesting because we all have that like, I think a little bit of like a voyeuristic, like we, we want to look at it, you know, because it's, it's interesting, but they're putting it out there. So they clearly want people to look in a certain way. Yeah. And I, I think, and we talked about this before, you know, I think what Adele did was a little bit different. She just was like, oh, by the way, here's this other thing. But I mean, Kelly is definitely talking about the gastric bypass and all of this yeah. other stuff. And I think the thing that they're, I don't know, I, I really, what you said, Joanna, resonated with me about, like, should this be news yeah. in the yeah. way that it is? Like, I think both Adele and uh, Kelly are really talented women they are doing uh, clearly I mean I don't know that much about Kelly but you know Adele is one of like what the greatest voices of our generation like why why are we talking about this um not that it shouldn't be a side story because it you know people are going to make a story out of it but why does it have to be the main story and also you know I was shocked when I pulled this this story up about Kelly Osborne, and I was like because she's someone I would never have looked at. I mean, she's a curvy lady, but I never would have looked at her and been like, oh, candidate for gastric bite. Not that yeah. I'm a doctor, but, you know, like that would never have gone through my head. And I feel like that can be so detrimental, particularly to young women, because they're looking at that and they're like, OK, well, you know, Kelly looks like me. And if she had to lose 85 pounds via this kind of extreme method, yeah. kind you know, of, yeah. I it's, was it's not a kind of it's it is it's extreme yeah insanely extreme yeah Go ahead. and not sorry, sorry. successful no I mean I I hear you so um I mean I think that that's that that's I mean really dangerous and um not okay with it so I'm I, Joanna please tell us I mean I'd really am curious to hear yeah. your I mean your thoughts yeah, I mean, listen, I part of my work in in working with women and their wardrobes mm-hmm. <laughs> just automatically means that we're going to talk about, quote unquote, body image issues. We've like put that term in a box, right? Body mm-hmm. image issues. And because of the way our society has been structured in modern times, body image issues typically equals I'm too fat, Mm -hmm. right? So it's typically people being not so confident about certain parts of their body, uh, wanting something that they can't have, wanting their clothes to help them look a different way. Like, how can I cover up my tummy? Something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that I am an extremist in some ways because I am pretty staunchly all about like just throwing those rules out the door. I'm really like, I struggled with my weight my entire life. I had family members feeling the need to comment on my body and on my weight unprovoked Mm -hmm. (laughs) out of the blue for my entire life and I struggled with it. So I think that (laughs) I have a a particular experience that many curvy women have um, where weight has always been a subject of shame and of embarrassment. And so I'm like, 
you know what? If I can help women feel better in their bodies today at any size, but today, not tomorrow when you've lost 20 pounds or yesterday when you were 20 pounds lighter, but today, like that is my lot in life. That is my calling. So, you know, I just want you to know you're talking to someone who is pretty extreme about this, right? I love it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think, I don't think weight loss or weight gain for that matter should be news, should be national news. I'm actually sick of it. <laughs> I'm absolutely sick of the fact that we're going to see a headline next week about somebody else's weight loss. Because why is it any, number one, anyone else's business, but also like what gives any stranger the right to comment on someone's body? It's especially, I think women in Western cultures and in America, we're very used to being in some ways beholden to our society and beholden to some antiquated societal rules one of them being body shape. Mm -hmm. And so we allow other people, complete strangers, to be able to make comments and build rules and parameters around our body shape and then our personality, our marriage, mm -hmm. like all that stuff. Um, can you tell I'm a feminist? <laughs> <laughs> we are into it. I love that, yeah. yeah. And I so, think I'm interested in, in the context of Adele, and I think this is a perfect segue, too, into the interview portion, is, like, you know, I got the impression, obviously, Adele didn't post that photo because she wanted criticism. Like, no one would do that. And I think a lot of it was she was, she to me, again, I, I have not spoken to Adele. I don't know her personally. So, again, even, uh, even us just, like, continuing having this conversation is a little toxic in some ways, but I think it's important to, like, make the point of, like, she, you know, taking it back to your personal life, like, she posted that photo, I guess, because she wanted praise, and she was proud of her weight loss journey, and she thought she looked better than she did before, and she has been getting so much accolades, and from what I've been able to see, like, there are haters, but it seems like she's getting a lot of praise from the weight loss in a way that she was probably getting a ton of haters before. And so in your personal life, like, how do you, how do you combat that when sometimes it is a huge struggle to lose weight and you are doing it for all the right reasons and you want to feel a certain way about yourself and you're doing it for yourself and you want to celebrate that with your community? How do you do that in a non-toxic way? Yeah. Well, I've actually personally gone through that exact journey. Mm -hmm. So um, in, in 2009, I started a weight loss journey myself because after my mom passed away, I gained a ton of weight. You know, I just turned to like my favorite things in the world, sugary carbs, in order to deal with my sadness. Um, and so in 2009, I started a weight loss journey and in about... 13 months, I lost 62 pounds and I did it in a healthy way. Um, uh, and it was, it was hard. You guys, it was really hard to lose that much weight. Um, I had to change my entire social routine. Mm -hmm. I had to change obviously my eating. I didn't have a drop of alcohol for months on end. Mm -hmm. Impossible. Right. <laughs> 
but uh, it was hard. And so, yeah, at the end of that journey, when I hit my goal weight, certainly, certainly I wanted praise because it was hard just as graduate school was hard, just Mm -hmm. as relationships are hard, right? So yes, I wanted praise and there's nothing wrong with wanting praise, wanting champions and people who love you saying, bravo, good job. You worked towards a goal and you met that goal. Mm -hmm. When it gets dysfunctional, and this is exactly what happened to me, which is where I didn't do the mental gymnastics along with the physical gymnastics at the same time. So what ended up happening for me after 13 months of a pretty steady weight loss was that I still, even 62 pounds lighter, I didn't feel any better or any more grounded in who I was. Any more grounded in my body, my identity, nothing. And as a matter of fact, I went through a weird body dysmorphia, out of body identity thing, because all of a sudden, you know what? 62 pounds at my height, I'm 5'8". That's like a new body. I kind of like, you know, lost a fourth grader off of my body. <laughs> so I, um, I literally looked and felt like a new person, but I didn't do the identity work and the mental work to, to, to align with that. Yeah. So in a way I was going through an identity crisis that I didn't expect. Yeah. And that perpetuated a cycle of some, uh, what are you doing there? Are you moving? I spilled my water, but she spilled her water. Yeah. Sorry. BTS folks. This is what happens. I know. Trying to, to, I don't know what I'm trying to pick up the pieces. I think think that's such a powerful story and thank you for, for sharing that. And I think, um, it sheds a lot of light on, you know, we look at these celebrities as these monolithic people that aren't real people, but the conversations about celebrities bleeds into your personal life and the things that you hold about them, you know, people see that in your life. And I think that's really great to share your story. All I want to say to close is that anyone who's gone through a major, uh, major weight loss journey, whether it's 62 pounds like me, or I don't even know how many pounds like Adele, Mm-hmm. There is no way that they feel like the same person. They're literally in a different body. And whether whether they're living in a different body in a functional way or a dysfunctional way, like there's just no way that they're the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have to do the mental work behind it. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. And that's what I hope for Adele and for Kelly. Yeah. That's what I hope. That's good. I love you that. Too. That would so I guess jumping into that, I'd like to hear from you, Joanna, the second the second half of the story. So you lost the weight and then you were like, Oh shit, I didn't do the mental gymnastics. So yeah. what was what was the rest of that journey like for you? You know, I um I well, I was going to therapy. Yes. We love <laughs> therapy. Therapy's the best. Oh, thank God. Thank God for my therapist. But for me, my creative outlet has always been fashion. I come from a long line of artists and interior designers and fashion people. And so uh, 
I was lucky to somehow make the decision that I was going to start to really think about how I was presenting myself to the world and that my body needed to align with how I perceived myself. So I started to study fashion. I mean, even the technicalities of it, cut, Mm -hmm. fit. And you know what was a major influencer for me? And I, I don't know if all of your listeners are going to know what this is, but there was a a TV show um, in the early 2000s called What Not to Wear. Yes, Stacey London. And I have an important question when you finish this uh, thought. Stacey London and Clinton Kelly. I loved that. That was a formative show for me too growing up. Oh, good. So good. So so quite literally, that plus the original Queer Eye for the Straight Guy Mm, were were so so influential for me. I, I learned a ton from Stacey and Clinton and, and I realized that, uh, fashion could be learned. Um, and anybody can do it if you're intentional. Sure. I have some creative juices flowing through my body, but I could instill my passion and my love for how you present yourself to the world being being the most authentic me meant even dressing like me mm-hmm. and how do you execute that with their rules and yada yada that's what I yeah. love to so do how, how did you get into maybe taking a step back to like your education and stuff so you went to Carnegie Mellon and yeah. all of this journey is kind of going on also yeah. in the background, but I saw on your website, you have all sorts of experience with so many big brands that people will know and love that's outside of fashion. So yeah, what was kind of your career journey like to get you to this place that now you're doing um, fashion and styling and this coaching work full time? So in undergrad, I was an unusual double major within the uh, drama conservatory and psychology. I thought mm-hmm. for a long time I wanted to be a therapist. And then, and then I started going to therapy and realized that I was much too extroverted to sit <laughs> in a room all day long and listen to people cry, right? So I was like... Side note, too, if you guys haven't read the book, um, I think it's called We Need to Talk About It. Yes. You know which one I'm talking about. It's a memoir of a therapist, and she talks about her work with her patients and then her own experiences in therapy. It's so good. Maybe you should talk to someone. Maybe you should talk to someone. Lori Gottlieb. Yeah. Thank you. I just read it, like, last month, so it's still very fresh in my mind. I loved it. So good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so... um, I was like, well, shit, Uh, I thought I was going to be a therapist. That's not going to happen. I graduate from undergrad having zero clues as to what my next step was. Uh, uh, My aunt's friend got me a job in the beauty industry in marketing. I was like, cool, let me figure this out. I had no clue. And what happened was, as I moved up in the ranks, I eventually started working for L'Oreal USA, um, the Redken hair care brand. Uh, I realized that everybody was always coming to me for, like, the information that no one really wrote down. Mm. You know, like, how to navigate this corporate culture. Who do I talk to if I want to get something done? And I yeah. realized that kind of HR was kind of my world. Um, and so I decided to go to grad school for something called organizational psychology, Mm -hmm. which is 
Yeah, which is, um, it's the people side of an MBA, basically, instead of the finance side of an MBA. I went to teacher's college at Columbia, which is why I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I went into the world of leadership development and coaching. So I realized my path in life is really all about championing and, and facilitating other people's discovery and their potential. Mm-hmm. So for years, I worked at major brands, Tiffany and Company, NBC Universal, JetBlue, Citigroup, helping leaders not suck at being mm-hmm. leaders. Because I'm sure many of your listeners are like, oh, my manager really needs help not sucking. (laughs) And um, then fashion, again, especially during my weight loss and when I kind of came to, fashion was my creative outlet. So now my world is all about coaching people in fashion to help them reach their potential, to help them reach their life goals. And and coaching them, not prescribing it to them so they could just do it on their own without me eventually. Yeah. That's what's different about me versus a a fashion stylist. Mm -hmm. So how did you make that leap from working for these companies into being an entrepreneur and starting Copper and Rise? You know what's so funny? As the years went on, the companies that I started working for kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So, you know, I'm at Citigroup, which is half a million employees. And then I go to JetBlue, which is 20,000. And then I go to an acquired startup of about 75. Mm -hmm. And then I go to a four person startup. So I think um, as I progressed in my career, I felt more and more confident to be able to take bigger pieces of the pie. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm more of a breadth than a depth person. I think Mm -hmm. I prefer taking on more functions instead of being an expert in just one and going deeper in that expertise. Mm -hmm. So that's why startups really worked for me because I could take on a lot of different subjects and functions until eventually, I didn't want to work for anybody else. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I'm not great at working for other people. <laughs> Never been. I so, think that is a common thing. entrepreneurial journey uh, when you have that tipping point where you're like, you know what? I just, I don't want to work for anybody else. Like, yeah. I am my own best boss. I Yes, I am. But the thing that people tell you about being an entrepreneur, while they are true you don't really realize them until you're in it yourself. Mm -hmm. So I remember people saying, you know, 50 to 60% of your time is going to have to be marketing and selling your business. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, fine. You know, I just like doing the thing. I like doing the stuff. I don't like selling the stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's 100% true. So there are pros and cons to being a solo entrepreneur, but Uh, I'm learning and I'm getting better at it as the years go by. And hopefully by the time this airs, I will be a millionaireess. Let's hope. Yeah. By you being on this podcast, you're selling your business. So hopefully Mm -hmm. this is more enjoyable than some of the other avenues. (laughs) It totally is. I love, I love this. I love you guys. I love your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. No, this is great. 
Awesome. All right. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Chai. Oh, well, I was, I don't want to totally shift the, the topic, but you mentioned earlier, and I think I saw you talk about this on your Instagram, you know, that you are really involved with the plus size community in New York city. And I was just interested in hearing more about that and, you know, what that group is like, and it seems like it's a lot of really cool and vocal ladies. So, um, wanted to kind of jump, jump in that oh, avenue. Okay. Yeah, listen, when you're a solo entrepreneur, it is a much lonelier journey than I ever expected it to be. So I, and I'm, <laughs> if you can't tell already, I am very extroverted and need to be around people. So um, finding my people, finding my community has been paramount, paramount since mm -hmm. I started this business. Um, the plus size fashion community is definitely one of those groups. Here's what I love about these women. Number one, they are breaking all the rules. And from, from a feminism point of view, mm -hmm. they are rewriting our feminist future. Number one, and I wanna be a part of that. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. From a, from a body image standpoint, from a fashion standpoint, from a sexuality standpoint, all of that stuff. It's very, they're a very progressive bunch, which I admittedly connect with. Mm -hmm. um, number two, they are making the industry change. That's it. They're so vocal and they're so passionate about this cause, about loving yourself today, that look at how many brands that we know that have changed their tune in the past even five years. Mm -hmm. Guess what? Yesterday, August 24th, uh, Anthropology, their Beholden brand, which is their wedding brand, came out with Plus Size. Oh, they're wow. One, yeah. They're one of the few mass brand Plus Size, now Plus Size brands. That mm -hmm. And the community had everything to do with that. Just pause there, and this is my own ignorance talking ignorance and privilege to a certain extent like maybe you could speak to that either from your own experience or with your clients of like how what shopping in a plus size body looks like because that's an experience yeah. that I've never had of like especially given that you know what is the average size of the American woman it's like a size 12 or 14 or 16 or something in Actually, that range yeah that's yeah. considered quote-unquote plus size in a lot of brands and so what it what is that experience like for either you or your clients and how like yeah. what is something like the beholden brand going to plus size mean for the community yeah so let me tell you what it was like when i was growing up because you know in the when i was growing up in the 90s when i like started to go through puberty goodness i was not plus size many women out there are ps 67 it's 67% of American females, those who identify as females, are size 14 and above. Yeah, how many brands, right? Yeah. And how many brands offer size 14 and above? A lot less than 67%, I'll tell you that. So growing up, this was a situation where I was curvy, I was probably a size 8, 10, and it was very hard for me to even find clothes to walk into stores. I remember as I started getting bigger in college, I remember walking into stores, not even looking at 
any of the clothes and just walking up to a salesperson and saying, what's your largest size? Mm -hmm. And they would say 12 and then I would walk out. That was happening through college and even after college. So it has, the, the tune has changed, which I'm so grateful for. And it's partly because of the plus size community and especially PS, the plus size community was really anchored by black plus size women. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say it, yeah. it, it started with black plus size women, black and Latina plus size women. Um, so now all these brands want to be inclusive. This is a huge part of their mission. And so it is easier to find plus size, you know, plus size women can't, or they don't have to just go to Lane Bryant or mm -hmm. Chico's and look like, uh, you know, a retiree in Florida. <laughs> so it is easier now, but there are still, you know, the, for instance, the, the high fashion designer world has mm -hmm. not really entered into plus size yet, but it's only a matter of time. I'm actually very, very hopeful. Yeah, well, and, and I'm pretty positive. 67% of your captive audience can't buy, like, that's where it doesn't make sense for me in my like finance business brain. It's like, why well, have they been holding out? Is it to have this scarcity mindset and this like, no, it's actually, um, weight discrimination and biases all about who are the people that are fat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And traditionally in like the stereotypical mind of the American middle-class person, fat people are poor, mm -hmm. right? which is 1000% not the case, but mm -hmm. that, that was a stereotype. Yeah. So it would be those higher price brands and, and especially designer brands that wouldn't even venture into plus size because they would say, oh, they can't afford it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So that's changing. Listen, I, I'm an ambassador for Veronica Beard, which is a smaller brand, but they have sizes up to 24, which isn't big enough, Veronica Beard. <laughs> but, um, but you know, you buy a blazer there for $600. Like these are wow. executive prices. Yeah. So yeah. we're getting there slowly but surely, and I'm very hopeful. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I think too, I mean, and Joanne, I'm sure you can speak more to this, is that there's not only is there such a narrow a narrow definition of what is thin, what is fat, what is the female body look like, you know, I, um, th there's just no room for, you know, is someone, I don't even know the right terminology, but is someone bustier, is someone pear shaped or is someone, mm -hmm. you know, I'm a very, very busty. I mean, like, like, I, I mean, I don't fit. I, I, there's not a single thing. I should probably work with you actually. We'll talk offline. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I can't, there's not a top. I don't think I can find one in any kind of major retailer that would even begin to fit me and not just look like a sack or, you or know, tent. like something, a tent or something where I'm like, I can't wear that to work because I don't want to be showing off my tatas at work. Not right. that there's anything wrong with that, but it's not for me. Um, so I mean, I think it would be, I think it's interesting. Do you find that fashion brands are expanding in that way as well, right? Like let's fit the, the girl with the curvy butt or the big breast or, you know, like right. how, how the is that? Yeah. The disproportion. Listen, I, I, 
Yeah. Well, yeah. So I feel your pain, by the way, Shade. Yeah. <laughs> while you are disproportionate to on, on top, I'm mm-hmm. disproportionate on bottom. Mm-hmm. So I'm about two sizes larger on bottom than my yeah. top. Yeah. So just split us in half. And then we have one perfect woman. Yeah. (laughs) So this is an issue. This is still an issue. I have to admit, this is absolutely still an issue because while so many brands are expanding into the plus size Mm -hmm. world, or they'll call it extended sizes, which I kind Mm -hmm. of hate because it's like you guys, it's sizes. But anyway, um, all, all of these brands rely on their, uh, fit models basically. And fit models in general are proportionate Mm -hmm. because they have to be right. So as a disproportionate person, just like you, I feel your pain. So I end up buying dresses that are too big on top and then Mm -hmm. I have them taken in. Mm -hmm. There's some technology that is starting to emerge. That's going to help with this in a big way. For instance, um, technology where on, you can use your phone Mm -hmm. in order to measure yourself and then, yeah. And then you can use those measurements either when you're online shopping or the other piece of the technology Mm -hmm. is that you can submit those measurements and then have things made to order. So there's, there's a supply chain rejuvenation thing going on in partly because of, plus size and petite, but also in the vein of sustainability and environmentalism, uh, made to order causes a lot less waste. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'll add to that too, is the disability community. There's a, um, I'll look up the guy's name. He was on shark tank, but one of my aunts that, um, has a house in Florida, she's diabetic and she always struggled with finding bathing suits that, could accommodate a pump and she found this guy he's in west palm florida and his whole business he started as disability bathing suits essentially so bathing suits that you wear with a with a catheter or with a pump and he found that he had so many clients just like that Mm -hmm. where they were like i need a bigger size on top and a smaller size on bottom and my mom actually got like a ton of custom made bathing suits from him and he takes Amazing. all of your measurements and stuff and he does mail order too if you send him his measurements but hopefully with this expanded technology some of these you know this is a real mom and pop shop um and he ultimately went on shark tank and i don't know the outcome of that but i think there's all these underserved populations that really if you add them all up equals the majority of people yes that don't fit the like target bathing suit that you can get for $15 and my mom has had some of these bathing suits for you know close to 15 years at this point they're really high quality stuff so when you look at you know it's a little bit more of an investment up front but just really interesting things that and I think it seems like maybe Joanna if you want to talk to this like your business model of what you wear affects your mood and how you're perceived in the world, like wearing something that fits. Like, yeah. How does it that actually, it, it, it's actually incredible. You know, me being the, a, a nerdy psychology person, there has been a ton of empir- empirical research on the fact that your brain chemistry actually changes according mm-hmm. to what you wear. Wow. Your mood can also change according to what you wear and then vice versa 
your, what you wear affects your mood, but like it, it, or sorry, your mood affects what you wear and what you wear affects your mood. But, um, it's actually been studied in a huge way that especially when things fit and then we've all heard like color studies, like certain colors make you feel certain things. It's actually true, especially with the color red, red makes you feel powerful. So if you have a big presentation or an interview, wear something red, it's like totally subconscious, but it 1000% works. Um, but yeah, for anyone that says to me that clothes are just superficial, I call them out on their bullshit because clothes are literally a part of our body. We're, we're literally wearing them as a second skin. And so they are a part of our identity and they're a part of how we, how we think. Mm -hmm. So yeah, body, uh, sorry, brain chemistry absolutely changes according to what you wear, especially when it fits or doesn't fit. Think about when things don't fit, right? You're like tugging on them, your bra strap falls and you have to like pick it up or you have to keep pulling down your skirt every time you get up. That takes a lot of mental gymnastics. That takes a lot of mental energy that you could be focusing on at work or on that date or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I had, that was going to be my next question of like, if someone has been listening to this almost an hour long and they're thinking to themselves like, yes, I haven't been thinking as much about my clothes or, you know, all of us have been working from home and we've just been wearing, you know, I've been wearing this stretchy sack dress for like five days in yeah. a row. Like, I mean, me you know. too. Listen, my yeah. hand raises now and say, I, I, I've been wearing athletic pants every single day. So, yeah. And I'm the stylist. Yeah. yeah. So what's your top tip or your top, top tips that people that are maybe looking at their closet or they're like, I want to make an immediate change that will affect my mood and make myself feel better. What are the things that you look out for with your clients? If I had to choose one top tip, it, it's a very ethereal tip. It's almost a Marie Kondo type fit uh, tip. If anyone has watched the Netflix series with Marie Kondo, which is mm-hmm. fabulous and I love her. Um, it's that if we can really be, if we can be more self-aware about how we feel when we're wearing certain items of clothing, we are already off to the races every single morning. Because what we could do then is actually manipulate our day, manipulate our emotions in order to feel certain things in order to get other things done. Mm -hmm. So if, so the first thing is literally stand in front of your closet, look at those pieces one by one. It may seem silly, but if you look at that top, that makes you feel like a superhero, then you know that you need to wear that top when you need to succeed in something really hard. You can also look at those skinny jeans that you wore five years ago and think, you know, those skinny jeans are not actually making me motivated more to lose weight. They're actually making me feel like shit because I can't wear them right now. And I feel guilt and shame because of them. Then 
you're taking the power to say, you know what, jeans, you make me feel like crap. I'm going to donate you or sell you. So if we can identify the emotions that we attach to certain garment pieces, we then take control over the control that we often feel that our, our closet has over us. Mm-hmm. And that's number one. I love that. love that. Well, I feel like that's a great place to, to end our wonderful interview portion and move into the archery range. Unless Maddie, you had any final questions. No, I think that's great. Yeah. Thank you, Joanna. That was super powerful. And I, I can't wait to uh, share this with our listeners. So our final segment is called the archery range. We are going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions, answer with whatever comes first to mind. If we ask for a favorite, it can be a favorite. It does not have to be the, the favorite of all time. So Got it. Uh, Maddie, you want to kick off? Sure. Favorite book. Oh my God, you guys, <laughs> I don't read books. <gasps> Yeah, everyone looks at me like I have Hot six take. heads. Yeah, um, but favorite the last magazine? book. Okay, favorite magazine is New York Magazine. Favorite That's book nice. that I've listened to is, um, and I don't know if he's canceled or not, but it's Modern Love, Aziz Ansari. Oh, yeah, he's good. I, think he's, I mean, I think that book is good. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, favorite movie? Uh, favorite movie is Shawshank Redemption. Oh. Favorite yeah. TV show? Favorite TV show is What Not to Wear. Duh. Oh, by the way, this was my question oh, you had I had question. earlier. Yeah. So I... I turned 36 on my last birthday in June, and I had this moment of, like, absolute terror when I realized how in grained it was in me that Stacey London says no mini skirts after 35. Yeah. Not that I am wearing mini skirts on any day, but I was like, oh, and I remember just being like <laughs> being 15 or whatever age I was when that show was out and being like 35 is so old. <laughs> I know. And then I what I like was officially officially past 35 on my 36th birthday. I was like, I guess Stacey London thinks I'm old now. So I was wondering, does anyone else, did anyone else have this feeling? Uh, or yes. did this stick in their head? I mean, I don't remember Stacey saying it in particular, um, but like, yes, I'm approaching 40. Holy crap. Um, yes, absolutely. But here's what, if Stacey London said this, said that to me today, here's what mm-hmm. I would retort with, Yeah. which is, listen, when I put something on, in an intentional manner, right? I'm thinking about two things. The first thing is how I feel in that outfit. That goes to like what we were just talking about before, like what emotions do we attach to those pieces? How I feel. And then how do I think other people perceive me when I'm wearing this thing, mm-hmm. right? And I can't really influence how other people perceive me because their perceptions are based on a, a wide array of things like mm-hmm. their culture where, where they grew up and what their mother said to them and etc. So there's a lot of factors at play and I'm not really interested in antiquated societal societal norms like mm-hmm. no white after Labor Day. Who cares? Winter right? whites are great. Right? Exactly. Or or no miniskirts after 35. Mm-hmm. So what I want to say is, 
how do you feel in that mini skirt? Mm-hmm. And how do you think if you're really present and really aware, how do you think the other people that are going to come into contact with you today, how are they going to feel when they yeah. see you in that mini skirt? Yeah. That's all. Love that. Love That's that. all. That's awesome. So good. Yeah. All right. right. Back to our archery range. Yes. Um, favorite stylist that you would recommend or uh, a designer if there's a brand? Oh, well, well, designer and brand are different. Sorry. Maybe you can educate us. I totally have no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I think designer, I think about like a high-end designer and that person would be Carl Lagerfeld. Um, but favorite brand is Christian Siriano. Because mm-hmm. he was one of the first high-end designers to really embrace plus-size women. He it. was dressing plus-size women on the red carpet when nobody wanted to dress them. And I love him for that. And he was on Project Runway. I remember him on Project Runway. Tim Gunn, my favorite. He lives in my neighborhood. I may have stalked him. Anyway. (laughs) No judgment. Yeah, I feel like him and Zach Posen, I feel like, I don't know if you have any thoughts on Zach Posen, but I feel like I always saw him dressing plus-size women, too, on the runway. And I was like, what a delight. Yeah. No, Zach Posen is a really, really talented designer. Unfortunately, he's like not really in business anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, last year, he kind of went out of business, um, at least his couture line. But Christian is still Christian is still killing it, and Christian's wearing, uh, making ready to wear. So, and he's also he's making masks during the pandemic. We love as they all should. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I'm right. Gucci masks. Yeah. I know. I love it. Couture masks. Um, Okay. Favorite childhood snack. Oh. Okay. Do you remember when you were in school and they had those chocolate chip cookies in that brown Linden's bag when it came in a a packet of three? Yeah. Those were my favorite because they were so dry that I would dip them into the milk. Yeah. I love them. Yeah. So good. Favorite place you've traveled but never lived? Cape Town, South Africa. Mm. Man, mm. they've got everything. Mountains, wine, beach, city. Really hot guys. <laughs> or girls, if that's your thing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, I think I think we asked all the yeah, all the arrows. We should be fired all the arrows. Yeah, uh, Joanna, where can our listeners learn more about you, follow you, uh, buy your services, etc.? Yes. So again, my company name is Copper and Rise because copper is the color of my hair. So when you meet copper, you rise up in your life. So follow me on Instagram at Copper and Rise. Or go to my website, sign up for my newsletter. I don't send a ton of emails, I promise, at copperandrise.com. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, ladies. Yay. All right, campers, we will see you again. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. And this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks campers.
We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.